Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Welcome, it's your host, Dr. Dion. Today's show will be focusing on COVID-19 and health disparities. The reason I wanted to discuss this topic was that I recently saw a series produced by ABC News called The Pandemic, A Nation Divided. And it was just looking at the health disparities in this country and how COVID-19 brought to light these uh, health disparities that existed even before this pandemic. I don't know how many people were able to view this series produced by ABC News because it came on at midnight weekly for a few weeks on the East Coast. With that being said, you can still check that series out on ABC News YouTube channel. And it's like I said, pandemic, a nation divided. So let's just jump into it. So what is health disparities? Health disparities is considered a difference between groups in health secondary to higher burden of illness, injury, disability, or mortality experienced by one group relative to another. And in many instances, these health disparities are preventable. According to the Office of Disease Prevention and Health Promotion, health disparities adversely affect groups of people who have systemically experienced greater obstacles to health based on their racial or ethnic groups, religion, socioeconomic status, gender, age, mental health, physical disability, sexual orientation, geographic location, or other characteristics historically linked to discrimination or exclusion. So what did this nation look like pre-COVID-19? Based on 2018 National Healthcare Quality and Disparities Report, although health had improved from 2000 to 2017, health disparities still persisted, especially in poor and uninsured populations. This uh, report assists areas impacting health disparities, and we'll take a look at these uh, individually, of course. Uh, One is patient-centered care. Number two, patient safety. Number three, healthy living. Number four, effective treatment. Number five, care coordination. And number six, care affordability. When looking at these measures based on the report provided, Black Americans American Indian Pacific Islanders received worse care than whites about 40% of the time when looking at these measures. Hispanics received worse care than whites about 35% of these measures. And Asians received worse care than whites in about 27% of these measures. And to be honest, as a physician, we live in the richest, one of the richest countries in the world. And to have such a severe disparity among different ethnic groups is ridiculous. We definitely need to be addressing the policies in our country where we can decrease and even possibly eliminate these health disparities among our people in this country. Now look at the specific measures individually. First is a patient center. This is one that I truly focus on when patients come into my office because I want my patients to be involved in their care. And that would, and that is 
essentially what patient-centered is. Patients are actively involved in their care. They know what's going on. They're able to voice their opinions about the treatment that is presented to them. And is there, you know, any alternatives or what is the in their best interest based on them individually. And you involve the family, the family is involved as much as the individual patient wants regarding their health care. And, and I always tell patients when they come to see me, if I'm not listening to you as a physician, then you need to, you know, find another doctor. Um, you want someone that is listening to you looking at your life um, and how different, you know, medical treatments is going to impact you on a daily basis, as well as your family. Also involves in that patient-centered focus, you want to definitely address the differing cultures, um, languages, any type of disabilities the, the patient may have, assessing health literacy, you know, what's their level of education that they're able to process what is actually going on with their health, as well as their family members and understanding social backgrounds and how they are receptive to the advice that you provide for them in the office. And are they likely to follow it? Or is there some other issues that may prevent them from following the care recommended? The second measure assessed in this study is uh, patient safety. And what you typically look at patient safety, is it free from accidental injury due to medical care or medical errors? So you look at things as far as patients being prescribed the wrong medication or even the wrong dosing, things of that nature, uh, not being able to coordinate care with an outside uh, physician where there may be some discrepancy of how to manage the patient. Um, so that's why these things are important uh, to measure and how it impacts uh, patient's care. Care coordination. This is basically in a sense where you have a coordination between different providers or a medical team. Um, it may involve more than one physician other than, you know, your primary care doctor may have some specialists involved. And you want patients to understand the plan of care for their medical condition and to make sure that they understand it and that there's communication between uh, medical providers involved in that particular person's care. And Another instance where you want to make sure care is coordinated, and I see this a lot as a uh, physician, when patients are discharged from the hospital, they're sent home and they have scheduled follow-ups with a potential specialist in addition to their primary care doctor, and the patient either doesn't have an understanding of why they're going to see a particular doctor or that they needed to schedule the follow-up appointment themselves or they never had a follow-up call um, regarding getting their follow-up appointments, or they never received a prescription that they said they were supposed to receive upon discharge from the hospital. So being able to collectively coordinate care and is an important measure. And this was definitely studied in this particular report and how it affected health disparities within different populations. Fourth, let's look at effective treatment. So this is coordination uh, between primary care and uh, specialists. And you look at the specific uh, ways to prevent or diagnose and treat certain diseases. And let's say, for example, like a patient came into my office 
and they had symptoms of a cold. Treating them with the an antibiotic is not appropriate for majority of these patients, but a lot may expect to come in and receive that treatment or, you know, some are just prescribed this by medical providers and they necessarily don't need it. And then you have resulting effect of antibiotic resistance when they actually need it. And then you have these superbugs that develop and you may have seen some of this on um, TV where they are resistant to medication by mouth and they have to be hospitalized because they need IV antibiotics and there's only probably one or two drugs out there that can actually treat their infection. You want to just look at these measures, especially when it comes to effective treatment, to make sure that people aren't being treated inappropriately for a specific medical diagnosis. A fifth measure looked at was uh, looking at healthy lifestyle and healthy lifestyles. You want to look at improving and preventing unhealthy behaviors, environmental hazards and looking looking at uh, poor social support and how we can improve access to healthy uh, choices for individuals. And lastly, the measure of affordable care. Majority of patients, especially in the poor and uninsured populations, have to deal with a lack of access, mostly because of lack of health care insurance. And so if you don't have health care insurance, patients end up going to the ER for their medical care or emergency room, I should say, um, for the medical care and something that may have been easily caught at an earlier stage going to a primary care physician's office because you have access uh, to health care with health insurance. Now it's more an advanced stage and patients have to have to be hospitalized and managed. And sometimes these cases may be too far along to even treat successfully. So this is one of the, I think, top measures that needs to be looked at as far as um, access to health care for many of these patients. And then you also got to look at the area where some of these individuals live. They may not have a clinic or medical office that is nearby where they can easily access care. Also, you may have a hospital that may not even be nearby where they can access care when needed. And I know this will be the case especially post-COVID-19 because so many hospital systems were already impacted prior to COVID-19. And now with the struggle of uh, so many communities and hospital systems at this time, many have been shut down or have relocated to basically improve their resources in other areas in certain communities. So those were the top six measures that looked at the health disparities within this nation back in 2018 prior to COVID-19. And so now in the middle of this pandemic, these health disparities are even more magnified because many of these individuals that in groups such as African-Americans, Hispanic populations that have significant health care disparities prior to COVID-19 have been impacted heavily during this time and many have died compared to many individuals in the Caucasian population. In addition to the measures that this, that were discussed from the 2018 report, other factors that have influenced health disparities, they are mostly called social determinants of health, and that's dealing with food insecurities, education, quality, decent and uh, safe housing, affordable, reliable transportation, lack of health insurance, access to clean water. And when I think about clean water, I think about the issues dealing with uh, water safety in Flint, Michigan. You also think about air quality, highly 
populated areas and states such as California and New York, you hear about the air quality and air pollution in some of those regions. And lastly, having a culturally sensitive medical provider is helpful as well. And that can impact quality of care received by many of these individuals. Now that we've looked at health disparities pre-COVID-19 and how they have impacted certain communities, now let's look at how health how these healthcare disparities have uh, impacted these communities during this pandemic of COVID-19. Let's just talk about the numbers. Since this pandemic has entered the U.S., it has infected over 5 million people. You have had over 160,000 deaths. And the impact globally is astounding. It's greater than 20 million that have been infected with the virus and over 700,000 deaths. This virus of COVID-19 has impacted everyone from the young to the elderly. The reason that COVID-19 has brought to light so many of the health disparities in this country is because the people that are at higher risk for contracting this virus. And most of the individuals that are at high risk for contracting the COVID-19 virus are the elderly greater than age 65 and individuals with underlying medical conditions such as heart disease, obesity, diabetes, kidney disease. If you have a weakened immune system, such as in cases of cancer, HIV. Also, if you have uh, individuals with underlying lung disease, such as asthma or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or otherwise known as COPD. These underlying medical conditions can increase your risk of contracting the COVID-19 virus as well as having severe complications if they do get COVID-19. The reason for highlighting the individuals that are at higher risk is because Many of the individuals that experience healthcare disparities, many of them have these underlying medical conditions. So you can see how this can impact so many people in these areas of having uh, COVID-19 and having complications from this infection. In addition, uh, many of these communities, such as the African-American Hispanic community, work in the food industry, uh, meat packing industry, many factories. They may be a part of the transit system. Some of them are even frontline workers in the medical field. So you can see that this not only having an underlying medical condition, but also being at higher risk of exposure can in- increase your chances of contracting COVID-19. I know many of you probably heard about an instance where a couple of meat packing companies had to close down because of the COVID-19 infection had spread rapidly within their company. In order to give you a better idea of how these health disparities exist throughout the, the U.S., I have a couple of states that I kind of want to discuss the, the the statistics in regards to how they have impacted certain communities. The statistics that are going to be discussed can be found on each state's Department of Public Health website. So if let's look at the state of California, which is a huge state in this country. You have Latinos making up 58% of the cases and as far as 47% of the deaths. However, in the entire state, Latinos make up only 39% of the population. And then you look at white Americans in the state of California. They make up only 17% of the cases and 30% of the deaths where they make up 37% of the population. And African-Americans, 
is a little bit lower is that 4.3% of the cases and 8% of the deaths and they make up 6% of the population in the state of California. So you can see there's a high disparity of cases in the Latino community, although they make up a small percentage of the population. And a lot of these cases are found in highly populated areas such as Los Angeles County. And then the other astounding fact is that 136 of these cases, 136,000 of these cases have missing race and ethnicity information. So there still may be more of an impact in these communities than what we currently have as far as the data. Looking at the state of Louisiana, you have blacks making up 49% of the deaths, as well as whites having a similar amount of deaths, which is 49%. But looking at the state population of African-Americans in the state of uh, Louisiana, they make up only 32% compared to 62% that are white. So a lot of these cases are in highly populated areas such as Jefferson Parish, Orleans Parish, you know, that includes uh, New Orleans, which is a major city in Louisiana, as well as Baton Rouge. In the state of Mississippi, you have whites making up 33% of the cases of COVID-19 and blacks making up 24%. However, the high percentage of death is in the African-American community at 45% compared to 39% in the white community. And looking at the population in the state itself is 59% white compared to 38% black. And so you can see how there's such a disparity in how certain communities are impacted where you have over half of the deaths are people of minority background. Lastly, let's look at the state of Illinois. 25% of the cases are white of COVID-19, Hispanic 29%, and blacks make up 16% of the cases. As far as the percentage of death, is 45% white that um, have died from COVID-19 in the state of Illinois, and 27% Hispanic, and 21% African-American. So if you combine the African-American and Hispanic population impact in the state of Illinois is 48% have died from it compared to um, 45% of whites. And despite the high death rate, you look at the total population, they only make up the Hispanic population only makes up 16% of the entire state population in Illinois and 13% for the African-American community, and whites make up 61%. So there's such a disparity in people impacted by this COVID-19. And so there's still about 23% of the cases that are in the state of Illinois that the race is unknown. So the numbers may be even higher. So it's important to look at the, the health disparities and a majority of the impact is in Chicago County or Chicago, I should say Cook County that have the higher percentage of cases in these areas. Okay. Now we know what healthcare disparities are and how they existed even before COVID-19 and how now they've been magnified with this pandemic of COVID-19 and So what can we do to improve at least the numbers related to COVID-19 and its spread? Let's look at the recommendations, especially coming from the Center of Disease Control or the CDC. Number one, we need to protect ourselves and be able to protect others. So wearing your mask when you're out in public is going to be important to protect yourself as well as others. In addition, social distance, the six feet away, and also just minimizing your exposure to 
large gatherings, especially when it's indoors, is going to help prevent the spread. And making sure that you have good hand hygiene and cleaning surfaces. I recently read an article that had information from the Environmental Protection Agency, and they did research on disinfectants for uh, surfaces, and they saw that Lysol disinfectant spray as well as Lysol disinfectant mask, max cover mist have shown to be effective against COVID-19 virus. So you can probably check that out and uh, find it at your local retailers. So that is a good recommendations for, you know, cleaning and wiping down your surfaces. In regards to hand hygiene, people are purchasing hand sanitizer. And based on the CDC website, they're recommending hand sanitizers that include alcohol percentage of at least 60% or higher to kill potential germs. However, nothing can replace good old soap and water to make sure that your hands are clean. I want to make you aware that there have been some recalls on some of the hand sanitizers that are out there. So I would recommend you check out the FDA.gov recall on hand sanitizers to see if you are in possession of any of those hand sanitizers that are on recall. In addition, when you're out in public places, you want to make sure that when you have your face covering on that you're not excessively touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth. And if you have to happen to need to cough or sneeze and you don't have a face covering on, cough into a tissue and make sure that you throw that tissue immediately away and wash your hands. In combating COVID-19, we need to be able to recognize the signs and symptoms. And the list is growing and continually growing daily based on the Center for Disease Control or the CDC website. So many of the symptoms may appear two to 14 days after exposure to the virus. Individuals may have fever or chills, cough, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, fatigue or that sense of feeling tired, muscle or body aches, headache, new loss of taste or smell, sore throat, congestion or runny nose, nausea or vomiting or diarrhea. Like I said, this is not a complete list because it's continually to grow daily. If you do experience any of those symptoms, you should seek medical attention. However, when do you need to seek emergency medical attention based on the CDC website? It says, look for emergency warning signs for COVID-19. If you or someone that you know experienced any of these signs, they should seek emergency medical care. That's 911. That's trouble breathing, persistent pain or pressure in the chest, new confusion, inability to walk or stay awake bluish lips or face. So definitely being able to recognize some of the milder symptoms, but knowing when to seek emergency medical care is going to be important. That And that's when you need to call 911. Lastly, we need to discuss two other major issues that can help decrease the spread of COVID-19. As I discussed earlier in the show, we have incomplete data from each of the states in regards to race. So you have thousands of cases where that's not documented. So we really don't have a complete database and the CDC doesn't have one as well. So we need a central database so we know who is being impacted so we can get resources to those areas. And we also need more testing availability. There have been limitations as well as decrease. We need to decrease the turnaround in regards 
to people getting their results back. Seven days out is not appropriate. We need something that's going to be quicker so people know their risk of exposure as well as the risk of exposing others to COVID-19. And we as the public need to hold our public officials accountable, especially locally, our mayors, statewide, as far as governors and our your national representatives, such as our House of Representatives and Senators, because we need the resources available to our area to make sure that we get the testing that we need, the data that we need to allow the public to get the resources that they need to stop the spread of COVID-19. So I would encourage you to contact your local officials, your mayor's office, your governor's office, your house of representatives office, as well as your senator's office to let them know what the issues are in your area. So the resources can be allocated appropriately. Although these are not overall solutions in regards to eliminating health disparities in different populations across this country. However, this is an immediate way as far as decreasing the spread and potentially eliminating the the spread of COVID-19 within not only the minority and underserved communities, but also the, the many communities across this nation. I hope the information that was provided today was informative and can help decrease the spread of COVID-19 across this nation and provide insight on how this disease has impacted different communities throughout this country. Although COVID-19 has impacted us globally, I want us to remain hopeful. Even though millions have been infected and over 100,000 of people um, have died, Many have recovered from COVID-19. So I want us to remain vigilant about making sure that we do the things in regards to recognizing signs and symptoms when we should seek medical care, making sure that we're using appropriate protective equipment when we're out in public places, making sure that we're using appropriate hand hygiene and disinfecting frequently touched surfaces. And I know that we can get through this as a country and globally. Thanks again for listening to Refine Your Health podcast. I hope you will subscribe to this podcast as well as check out my website at refineyourhealth.com. Thanks for listening and be safe. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.